As Eckhart Tolle said, boredom, anger, sadness, or fear are not yours, not personal. They are conditions of the human mind. They come and go. Nothing that comes and goes is you. Join Sue Jackson every Tuesday at 10 a.m. for Finding Human, a look at the wonder that is the human mind, right here on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human, and my guest today via Skype is Peter Bailey. Peter, are you there? Yes, I'm with you and Uh, listening. I'm so pleased. Peter and I have been sending messages backwards and forwards about waving to to Mandy to show that we joined Skype, and the two of us have actually learnt a lot, I think, along the way. Peter, I've just seen your your friend, um, Willie or Bill Bergman, and I gave him a hug, by the way, from you. Uh, He was on the program now. How Uh, are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Enjoying a much cooler day than it was yesterday in Israel. Oh, was it Uh, hot again? Yesterday we had a daytime temperature of 27 degrees, amazingly. Oh, my word. Uh, And that's February. For February, yes. (laughs) That's amazing. Now, Peter is has been on my program before with uh, Philip Veyers, and Peter has become a good friend of mine. He is a historian. He's a businessman. He's an author. He's got a a lot of involvement with Telfed involvement and with the organization Truth Be Told, and he was also a part of the South African Ex-Service League. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, When I left South Africa, I had... I had just resigned then as national chairman of the South African Jewish Ex-Service League, and Willie or Bill Bergman, who's just been speaking, was the national secretary. Oh, um, wow. It's such a coincidence, Hilton, you know. A- Hilton Kaplan, who's also regularly on High FM, mm-hmm. and is now the national chairman of the Jewish Ex-Service League, was the national vice chairman at that stage, and the treasurer. Is that so? so? Wow. So we closely connected. Absolutely. <laughs> now, when Peter was on our program last time, we were talking about the teal that we had been on with, with Philip Veyers. And, um, and also he came here to promote his book, Street Names in Israel, which, uh, I bought a lot of copies and handed them out because they were just such a lovely book. And we're going to be talking about his new book, uh, shortly, um, which is about, uh, Soldiers who have in the IDF who have won unbelievable medals of courage. We'll talk about that shortly. But right now we're going to be talking about a Telford to you that uh, Peter went on. And Peter, by the way, because I'm only speaking to you via Skype, I have a photo of you and Joel in front of me so that I can pretend I'm talking straight to you. It was <laughs> the two of you on your teal. Now, first of all, you met. Uh, Joel, I think at the, well, you met him a long, long time ago here in South Africa. You used to, uh, run a communal, uh, quiz together. That, that, is, that is correct, yes. And um, then you reconnected again on, uh, Solidarity Teal, then on Protective, um, Edge to the Gaza communities. That was just after Protective Edge, Telfed arranged a solidarity visit to the South, mm-hmm. which was my very first Telfed teal that I'd gone on. Um, and after that teal, Joel contacted me and said, why don't we start doing teal in for Telfed for, for taking the, our fellow South Africans out on visits? 
And so we started doing uh, almost monthly TLM uh, to all parts of Israel. Mm. Uh, where from? From Ranana and, and yes, Natanya and we where else? We be from Ranana and from Natanya. Gosh, that's absolutely amazing. And do you get good participation? We have an average of 50 people on, on most of our TLM. Mm. Um, we've had two occasions where we've had two busloads. That's 100 people. Um, and they really very, very well accepted and very much enjoyed. And it's one of Telfit's premier activities uh, amongst the elderly citizens, the elderly former South African citizens of Israel. That's fantastic. Now, you made Ali in 2014, I think, didn't you? 2013. It's 2013. Okay. Now tell me about how you had to change your life, uh, going there from South Africa to Israel. Well, I think firstly, uh, moving from a, a big double story home, uh, in orchards in the suburbs, uh, to a small, to, to my son's house initially, we had a soft landing when we arrived here. Yeah. Uh, we looked we lived with my son for the first eight months in his home. Um, every house in Israel has a basement. Um, and most of the basements are very well appointed as suites. Um, and we lived in his basement, which was a magnificent little suite that Jeannie and I shared. Um, so we had a soft landing in that respect, but it was a very, very great transition. Are most um, of the basements uh, actually bomb shelters? No, no, uh, the bomb, basements aren't bomb shelters. The bomb shelter is a separate, uh, specially built uh, room, mm-hmm. uh, which might, some of them are in the basements, but it does not necessarily have to be in the basement. Okay, so you uh, were in the basement living we a comfortable in, life. In the basement suite for eight months. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, we had to get used to that. We had to get used to walking to catch the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, the bus service here is amazing. Um, you can go anywhere and everywhere. And I don't, I, wherever you live, I don't think there's a bus stop more than 500 meters away from you. Isn't that amazing? Uh, that's my experience. And do uh, they run on time? They run on time, mm. uh, most of the time. There's the, the, the occasional uh, little blups, as they say in South Africa. Yeah. But most of the time they're on time and they get you where they want to, where you want to go and they're very friendly and, uh, and then of course the language, learning the new language, which we still haven't learned. Um, but we might do, and uh, most Israelis are very accommodating. Uh, are they the welcoming? To me, and, and a big change, sorry. Are they welcoming to, to New Orleans? Extremely welcoming. Wherever you go, when you tell people, Israelis, I'm a New Orleans, I'm a new immigrant, they look at you and they say, to Jeannie and myself, and they say, Brochema Baim, welcome. Oh, fantastic. And and, and, and and that sort of comment. So it's, it's really, I mean, Israel is dependent on, uh, on immigration from diaspora Jewry, mm-hmm. not to the degree that it was in the past, but it's still a lot of the, uh, a lot of the high tech and so on, uh, it comes from, from uh, Olim. Gosh, is that so? So for you, there were your change of, sta- you definitely had to change your standard of living. And yet. Absolutely. How did you find new meaning and purpose and in your interests there? Well, we arrived here and suddenly had our five grandchildren with us. Oh, wonderful. That was um, worth everything. 
and that that was the whole change. I mean, that was really what it was all about. Uh, uh, Peter, I can't see you, so you can't see Craig holding up an ad break, but we have an ad break, and then I've just got an advert to read out, and then I'll be back with you. So hold on on the line, please. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. Peter, are you still there? Sue, yes, I'm here, and you've really just touched my heartstrings. Oh, wow, because of the Hamantoshen. If there's one thing I miss, it's the traditional South African Hamantoshen. In Israel, we have little three-cornered cakes with (laughs) chocolate inside them and a hard crust, and they're just not Hamantoshen. Oh, no. (laughs) Next time I'm in Israel, I'm going to have to get someone to make them for you. (laughs) Okay, so we were talking about the losses and the gains in immigration. Um, so you you were saying that your grandchildren were there and that your five grandchildren that to you was the greatest gain, and of Absolutely. course your sons as well. And what else? Uh, well, I must just add that the five have now become six. Oh, Baruch Hashem! So that there's even another. Well, there's the six number six is two years old already or three years old. Yeah. So. But it's made it even more important. Um, ah. But then on, you know, on the other side, I've, I've found a whole new aspect of communal activity uh, in Israel, as has my wife, Jeannie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've made all sorts of new friends. We've reestablished contact with old friends. Um, and I've become active in, in, in the South African community and to a degree in the larger Israeli community. Uh, as I was in South Africa mainly involved with Jewish communal affairs, uh, but also on, on general South African affairs, uh, my children were very involved with sport, and I spent a couple of years as the chairman of the Gauteng Judo Association. Oh, is very, that so? Very different to being involved in South African Jewish communal affairs. I'm sure. It, it added to my experience. And, of course, coming to Israel, Judo is, is, is a major sport, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, so it stood, it stood me in good stead when I arrived here as well. Well, I hope you haven't ever had to defend yourself there. No, I personally am not a judoka. My son was the judoka. Uh, okay. Now, what about this Truth Be Told? What sort of organization is that? Truth Be Told uh, has an objective of getting the true story about Israel out to the world. Mm. The, it's, it's a group of people that's chaired by David Kaplan. David is, uh, is a nephew of the late Mendel Kaplan, mm-hmm. uh, and a former chairman of Telfed uh, from Cape Town. Uh, he's originally uh, an advocate by profession or, and, and a lawyer, uh, although he worked in Israel as a journalist. And there is so much disinformation and untrue information all over in the world about Israel. Um, the, the Palestinian or Arab narrative has been bought to such a degree by, by the world that Dave and a group of people decided it was very important to start an organization to get the proper story out there, the true story. Mm. And what we do is we respond to all negative uh, uh, articles that are about Israel. Okay. Uh, and untrue articles, or we want to get the truth out there. The truth must be told. Oh, well, what an incredible um, organization. I think I must get him on the show as well, actually. I will I, you know, that for you with pleasure. I actually did meet him at Telfed in, in Renana 
very shortly. But your latest um, art, you sent me an article which I found so incredibly interesting of your latest teal. And please won't you just tell me about it. It was also a solidarity visit to the South, wasn't it? Yes, it was a solidarity visit. Uh, as I'm sure most people listening to the program uh, in South Africa, those in Israel that are listening certainly are aware of the horrific rocket and uh, firebomb and fire balloon attacks. And the fire fights. Uh, and the fire fights that, with which the, the, the people in Gaza have been besieging Israel. Mm. It's, it's almost a siege. Um, it's, it's, it's a daily occurrence. It has been all of the rockets have, have diminished now, uh, but the fires haven't. Uh, and the people living in the Gaza periphery area um, have suffered unbelievably. It's 50 or 60 kilometers of, of Kibbutzim and Moshavim, many of them that almost share a border with Gaza. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their children uh, have had nights and nights in bomb shelters, uh, rushing out of the classroom, rushing out of the, the kindergartens or the ganim as they are called here. Um, and they have really endured the most horrific time. Mm. And Ron Klein, who's the, the uh, CEO of Telfed, uh, and we interact on a regular basis. I'm the chairman of the Telfed Events Committee. Right. Uh, and what's which, Doron Klein? What is he? It's the chief executive officer oh. of Telfed. Mm. He runs Tel. He's in South Africa at the moment, actually. Mm. Uh, and the Teal Committee is one of the subcommittees of the Events Committee, which the Teal Committee, of course, is chaired by my friend Joel Klotnik. Yeah. Um, and uh, Doron suggests to say to me, you know, we need to show some solidarity with our brethren in the South. And of course, without any hesitation, Joel and I grabbed the idea and we started setting up a Teal to visit the besieged communities in the south, a number of them that were started by South Africans within many South Africans living. Um, Doron Klein's own daughter lives on a kibbutz that is adjacent to, to Gaza. Oh, wow. So, so it's really a, a very, very emotional thing for South Africans in Israel. Mm, I'm um, sure. So we set up this teal and we had previously visited uh, Sterot and I'd met a lady by the name of Adele Rubin and her husband Mike mm-hmm. I see Mike in your article you said that Mike came from the United States in That's 1948 correct. to fight as a volunteer in Israel's war of independence That's, that is correct so Mike Adele was South African country. Adele was South African she actually worked for Telfed in the early 1950s mm-hmm. So her connection with Telfed is very strong with South African Jewry and is very, very strong. They, they live in, uh, in Sterot and they're very much a part of the community. They're involved in all kinds of communal projects, assisting uh, Ethiopians, uh, assisting children at risk, uh, assisting the, uh, the college there. There's the local uh, a college, which is a campus of uh, Ben-Gurion University uh, in Sterot, uh, and, and they're very, very involved. So I phoned Adele and I said to Adele, we're coming to visit. And what we want to do is give toys to the kids or the, at the communities that we visit. But we want to also give business to Sterot because of the tough time you've been through. We want you to spend 5,000 shekels on toys in, at toy shops in Sterot. We will then come and pick up the toys and distribute them. Mm. 
that was the, the, the basic structure of our teal. To go to Sterot, give toys to the kids in Sterot first of all, and then take toys to, to a few communities that we were going to visit for the day. Right. And what, was it very emotional actually getting was, there? Well, getting there was very emotional. On the bus with us was, uh, Sid Shapiro, who's a former executive, uh, of Telfed. Um, and Sid was around for many, many years. He was the executive for many, I'm not sure how many, but more than 20 years, I'm sure, mm-hmm. that he ran Telfed. And he was involved in the establishment of many of these kibbutzim and moshavim. Wow. And on the bus to Sterot, he told us about his experiences and about the people and about the places that we're going to visit. So it, yeah. it was really, we were absolutely keyed up and geared up for what we were going to see. We'll get back to that in a moment. Just hold on there, Peter. The best part of your day. At the heart of your community. All the talk. All the music. All the news. Hi, FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Peter Bailey from Israel on Skype. And I just wanted to give you out our SMS number. It's 34519, and our WhatsApp, 61 Eight nine five one zero one nine. Peter, are you there? Um, yeah, I'm here. Th- I thought that that advert just now on Sinai and Daba uh, was actually pretty much for us, wasn't it? That uh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. it could have been made for us. Now, sir, you there were a lot of feelings evoked for you already on the bus then. Uh, absolutely. Most definitely, yes. Mm. What sort of uh, stories did he tell you that actually touched your heart? Just give us well, one. The, the, the one place that we visited, um, you, you know, after the 1967 war, um, uh, Moshe Abim and Kibbutzim was started in the Sinai, mm. which had captured from Egypt. Yes. And after the peace with Egypt was signed uh, by Menachem Begin, those communities had to move out of the Sinai, leave the little villages, Kudatim, Moshavim, homes that they had established, and re-establish themselves in Israel proper. Um, and this is where Sid was very involved in, in assisting these people to re-establish themselves. And it's, it's you know, when, you, when one thinks of the pathos of having to leave your home, leave what you've built up, and having to start afresh, uh, Kibbutz Talma Yosef, which we visited, was one of those. Um, and it's amazing to see what they have done and rebuilt. So th- that is the story of Israel, unfortunately. And uh, I suppose it's very, uh, very current today as well. Um, when Ariel Sharon decided that Israel would move out of Gaza, the people living in Gush Etzion, many of them South Africans, had to give up their homes and had to leave. And we, today we again have Jews, Israelis living in what they call the settlements. Um, and it's a great disputed uh, subject. But the great fear is that somewhere along the line, Israel will have to undergo that terrible trauma again. Mm, it's uh, really frightening. You know, it reminds me of an African quote, if I can just interject here, which says, the sun does not forget a village just because it is small. And so, did you hear that one? So, so very, very true. I've heard that one before. And, and that really is, uh, you don't forget your home. You don't forget where you, 
what you built and what you lived for. Absolutely. Now, in uh, Stuart, you you found unbelievable growth in spite of the attack, didn't you? In spite of the attacks, yes. Um, the town is growing enormously. There's I've never been there. Great, great building. The next time you visit, I will take you. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> the, the building projects going on there are absolutely amazing. There must have been 20 tower blocks going up, uh, apartment blocks. Mm. Uh, I have no idea where the people are coming from, but the population of Sterot is growing steadily. Mm. Uh, Despite the rocket attacks. Hmm? Pardon? Despite said, the attacks. Yeah, that's uh, amazing. A sad indictment. We're driving along. Uh, Mike Rubin was a tour guide previously, and he took us around the town. Every bus stop has a bomb shelter next to it. Hmm. Hmm. And the, the door to this bomb shelter is closed. Um, but when the siren goes off, there are bombers being on its way. The doors immediately open electronically, and anybody at the bus shelter can go into the bomb shelter and is safe. Good heavens. Just tell me, just thinking about that, if you're driving in your car and a bomb should go off and your windows are closed, how do you actually know what's what's happening? Well, the, the siren is so loud you're going to hear it. Uh, I, I have a hearing problem, mm-hmm. um, and I don't always wear my hearing aid, but when sirens have gone off, I've certainly heard them in the car. Gosh, that um, must be so frightening for the children. It, it, it's horrific for the children. They they are the biggest victims. Mm-hmm. And I see we've got a message that has come through from our very good friend and my cousin, Philip Vayers. Good morning, Cuz and Peter. How wonderful to hear your voices. Makes my day. Listening in with much interest. Thanks for the... Uh, I can't see, what, thanks for the what? The, uh, the mention cuts because I said you and, and Philip were on before, so that's great. And then um, that's thank you so much, Cuz Phil. It's good to hear from you. Do you want to give him a message quickly, Peter? Yes, Philip. I just want to say, lovely to hear your message, Philip. I okay. hope you're listening to me. And I just want to say to everybody, Philip Vayers is one of Israel's greatest friends, as was his great grandfather Jan Smuts. Absolutely, he really is, and I'm going to have to get him back on our pro on my program just to talk about what his love of Israel means to him. Um, now, going back to you again, tell me a, uh, a bit about the people who were actually talking to you. You went to the kibbutz Kfar Azat. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Kfar, Kfar Azar. Azar. Uh, you don't pronounce the T. Kfar Azar. Kfar Azar. Tell me about that. Um, well, Kfar Aza virtually shares uh, a border with with uh, with Gaza. It's a stone's throw away from the Armistice Line. You could probably throw a stone into Gaza, um, and it marks the. Uh, it, it's uh, the Armistice Line, of course, is the famous line that was the 1948 Armistice uh, after the uh, the War of Independence, ah. which the Arabs seem now to think is a border. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, it was purely an armistice line, a negotiated armistice line, subject to further negotiation. Um, what was remarkable driving towards Kfaraza was seeing uh, the fresh greenery growing all around us, replacing everything that had been burnt. By the kites. Joel, oh, my word. By the kites and the fires. Joel and I had visited the south 
about six weeks or two months before that, mm. uh, we were guests of, of the military, um, and we were taken to various military bases, and the damage from the fires was very evident then. But now the blackness had been replaced with green, with fresh growth, and, and, I, and I actually remarked that I hoped that that fresh growth was a sign of a new fresh beginning uh, for, for the situation in Israel. Isn't that amazing that even under constant attack like that and the fear of, of these, these uh, rockets and the kite and the balloons, the fire balloons, you know, the fact that they are still regrowing their crops and uh, have got hope for the future is, is quite amazing. That's such a resilience of the human spirit. Absolutely. That is, well, it's the resilience of the human spirit, but I think in Israel that resilience uh, adopts a special special meaning. Um, there is no choice. Mm-hmm. Israelis have no choice. We either have to make Israel work and survive, or else there is no Israel for the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And what? that is the, 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 the attitude of most Israelis, irrespective of their political opinion, and they, they colored from the far right to the far left. And every um, Israeli has an opinion, let's face it. Every no, Jew no, has an no, opinion. You're, you're wrong. You're Why? wrong there. Why? Every Israeli has three opinions. <laughs> uh, they don't always agree with themselves. Uh, so it's, <laughs> I like that. But getting back to Kfar Aza, uh, we arrived at the kibbutz and we were met by Mervyn and Leah Pollack. Uh, Pollack, uh, I beg your pardon. Former South Africans, uh, I knew Mervyn's late father very well going back many years. And it didn't take very long, and Mervyn and I had established mutual acquaintances. <laughs> he had cousins who came from a little town that you might have heard of, uh, Benoni. <laughs> I knew uh, you were going to say that. I really did, yeah. And, and Mervyn, Mervyn was a cousin, you might remember, the Ritz family in Benoni. No. Uh, Jack, uh, Aubrey Ritz was a former mayor, mm-hmm. uh, and him, he was a cousin to, uh, to Mervyn Polyak. So we immediately had much to discuss. Uh, I come from Brackpan, for those that don't know, which is a, a little town close to Benoni. Um, so we had quite a bit to discuss about the East Rand. Uh, anyhow, we then went to the uh, kindergarten or the gun, uh, which is called Gun Narkish. Uh, and we were given a little chat by the, the senior teacher there, a lady by the name of Etty. Who told us what, a, what how, the, the horrific time the kids have? They'd be on some kind of kindergarten activity, children's activity, and the siren goes off, and everybody has to be hustled into the bomb shelters, and it's an absolutely traumatic experience for these little children. Mm. Uh, we listened to this, and it, it, it was really heartrending listening to her talk. Her, her, her heart was, was absolutely in her voice. We could hear it, mm. her emotions. And then she said to us, you know, you must understand one thing. I have a sister who lives in Tel Aviv. She said, and my sister and I, when we chat, my sister is planning for what she's going to do next week and the holiday she's going on next month and where they're going at the end of the year. She says, yeah, on Kfar Aza, we only plan for tomorrow. Because we from day to day. Mm. What courage! Good heavens, I can't believe it. And these do these children ever get used to it? I mean, do they, you know, do they go in 
without panic into these uh, the bomb well, shelters. It becomes a way of life. It becomes mm. a way of life. Um, and I suppose eventually they, they gain, when, when bombs or rockets actually fall near them, it's obviously traumatizing. Um, and looking at statistics, there's a very high degree of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder amongst the young children. Mm, I'm sure. And it really does affect them. And, and when the world speaks about the terrible things going on in this area, not once do we hear about the poor Jewish Israeli children who are suffering from this terrible stress disorder as a result of the activities of something that they have absolutely nothing to do mm. with. You know, I was reading up a, um, a, on an article on uh, steroid. Is that how you pronounce it? Steroid. Steroid. And it says 10 to 40 times a day, the code red goes. The custom rockets have been fired from Gaza into it. For eight years, uh, it has been receiving sustained attacks of 10, 20, even 40 customs a day. This is according to Rabbi uh, Pizim. And people were asked why and the majority of residents actually stay. And why? They were asked, why do they stay? And they said, besides the physical beauty, there's a palpable sense of a tight-knit love between the people there. The people have a sense of togetherness. And they also said that they believe that they are the first line of defense for Israel. When you live there, you are a soldier of Israel. And they also believe that there's a presence of God because they told they tell many, many stories of miraculously being spared. And everyone seems to have a story to share. Um, did you did you pick this up there? Did you? Most definitely. Most definitely. They, they, I wouldn't say that they're not fatalistic. Mm. Um, and while Etty might have said that they live from day to day, yes, they live from day to day but they live for the future as well. Um, mm. And whatever life is going to throw at them, they know that they are going to continue and carry on. They, they are very, very, uh, there's a very deep belief. Even those that are, are not religious, there's a very deep belief and a deep faith that they have. Um, and this comes through when you talk to these people, mm. um, that they have an absolute faith. That's amazing. This article actually went on to say that they're too busy trying to live, that they simply can't can't actually move an inch. Every re- residence there is living on a tightrope, and yet they want the world to know that to understand that the world they live in, to remember the screams of the children in the shelter and the cries of the people, they want the people to know the truth. And they want Jews to understand what uh, Sturot actually represents. And I think you, in your article, brought that through very clearly about the truth being told about what's happening there with the people. And that's which is where we started, of course, on truth be told was one of the things. And that is what we have to get out there. Mm. It's very important. You know, Leo Biscaglia also says, in times of great stress and adversity, it is best to keep busy, to plow anger and energy into something positive. And my gosh, they are really living that quote, aren't they? Totally, totally, totally. Now, Peter, from there, where did you go? From there, uh, we went to Moshe by the name of Talmay Yosef, um, which, by memory serves me correctly, originated from from Sinai. It was one of those that had moved out of Sinai. The, the residents had come out of Sinai. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also a very special community, and Telfed uh, has a very special place in uh, at Almay Yosef and used to have with a large number of South Africans there. And uh, it's the second Telfed deal that, that Joel and I have taken to Talmay Yosef. Why would the South Africans choose, us. sorry, why would the cho- South Africans choose to have gone there? I have no idea. It was, it's a group of South Africans that got together and uh, established a moshav. And, and in those days, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, I think it's the, the Jewish National Fund bought lots of land, bought tracts of land, and the Israeli Lands Authority distributes land when people want to start a new moshav or a new kibbutz. And uh, you go where they give you land. Ah, oh, okay. And uh, there's a great importance in establishing a Jewish presence in the Sinai, in, in the Negev Desert, uh, which stretches all the way from, probably from Ashkelon, uh, southwards all the way down to Eilat. Mm. And this whole desert is becoming an enormously developed uh, agricultural and economic area and part of Israel. Mm. It, it comprises the, the vast majority of Israel's land area. Um, and that's why it's so important for this, for this area to be developed and improved. Do they work with their neighbors, uh, on the farms? Uh, do they actually work together by any chance? When, when you say their neighbors? Uh, the, 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 Ga- the people living in Gaza and on the borders? On the no, other border? No. They don't. No, there's, there's no interaction there. Mm. The, the uh, movement between Gaza and Israel is extremely strongly uh, restricted uh, because of the number of problems they've had with uh, people coming from Gaza and committing acts of terrorism. Mm. I mean, they've even had instances where an ambulance was given permission to come through, and when searches was discovered that the patient lying in the ambulance was uh, was carrying a suicide bomb. Oh, my gosh. Oh, isn't that sad? Honestly, I mean, you know, the people right within the stone's throw of each other can't live in peace. It's it's the saddest thing. Um, t- you also mentioned that on that other uh, moshav, you talk about the salad trail, and I haven't been able to work out what is the salad trail. The salad trail is a very, very interesting uh, uh, development which was done by a fellow by the name of Uri Alon, uh, who's one of the, the Moshavniks, uh, on that's Moshav. And he grows various types of tomatoes, uh, cucumbers, lettuces, uh, all different kinds of salad vegetables. Yes. So you virtually walk the salad trail and pick different vegetables to make your salad. Huh. Um, it's a wonderful experience and it's all grown hydroponically. There's no water. Oh, uh, wow. So there's no water. It's all done hydroponically with, with drip irrigation, uh, and all in hothouses. Mm. Um, a really uh, amazing visit. And then, from a South African perspective, Uri Alon started uh, a little restaurant. Um, not quite a restaurant, but when you finish the tour, you can have lunch. Uh, and the speciality of the house is poiki course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we, the, we South Africans and uh, the, our tail feathers, we went to have our poikikos lunch. Is it called uh, poikikos in Israel? It's called poikikos in Israel. They call it poika. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, it's spelt here, when you write it in English, P-O-Y-K-E. Yeah. And 
an Israeli was very proud to tell me, you know, this poika, this pot with three legs, was developed in Israel. <laughs> and I said to him, you know, uh, a lot of things have come out of Israel, but that certainly is not one of them. Uh, <laughs> Were you very sure of that one? I'm very sure of that one. <laughs> I'm talking to Peter Bailey from Israel. He is in Israel. We're on uh, Skype. If you would like to SMS us, you can at 34519 or you can WhatsApp us on 061-895-1019 and we're just going to a break. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. My guest today is Peter Bailey in Israel. And we are talking about a teal that he did uh, recently um, to the, the Negev and to the south, to the border communities on Gaza, and, and the resilience of the people there and, and how they've actually managed to go on. And, you know, um, you were talking about the Poiki course, but apart from that, what I found very interesting, that you said that the, the, Peter told you about how the rockets that land on this Moshav are being converted into art. Just tell us what's happening there with that. Well, they basically take the, you know, to understand the rockets that are fired from Gaza, they're not very sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Um, they're basically old pipes that have fins welded onto them and they filled up with explosives and bolts and nuts and all sorts of things. Um, and when they land, they generally explode. And you're left with a mangled mess of me- uh, mangled mess of metal. Mm. I mustn't alliterate so much. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, um, and there's a, an, a metal sculptor on the Moshav who collects this messed up uh, remnants of rockets and turns it into art. Good heavens. Uh, which, which is really showing that the sword can be turned into the plowshare, I think. It's, it's, it's a... Wow. The only way I can think of describing it. And did you see any of this art, any yes. of these sculptures? So, yes, they have, it, he has it, they have it on display at the Salad Trail. Yeah. What sort of, and just tell me a few of the ones that are there. Really, I'm trying to, you know, it's really rockets that have been, exploded rockets that have been turned into different different forms. Hmm. Um, so it's very difficult to explain. But it's um, very creative. Very creative, and it, it actually... Assist the economy. Gosh. Um, in that the rockets that are doing such damage can bring income for people living on the Moshav. Absolutely. Now, Peter, I see we, we're moving with time and I want to get back to your, your new book. But, uh, you, you seem to have had the most wonderful trip there. And when are you doing another one? Uh, I'm not sure when we'll be going south again. I hope we don't have to do a solidarity trip of the same nature again. I hope again. so too. Uh, but when winter comes around, we generally go south because mm. uh, it's it's a little bit warmer down there. The north is very cold during winter, yeah. Mm. Uh, we go south in the winter and north in the summer. Okay, you and the birds. And uh, just tell me just quickly about Joe and Eve Isaacson, um, who established a kiosk uh, for the nearby transpa- transport there uh, of well, the Eshkol region. On, they live on Moshav Stenitzan, mm-hmm. uh, which falls within the Eshkol region. And the Eshkol region makes like a large percentage of the Gaza border or Gaza periphery area. 
Um, and as, as you can imagine, there are a lot of soldiers in the area there. And there's, there's the Eshkol Transport Hub, uh, which is a sort of central bus station where the soldiers arrive and go from from there to their various camps or oh, bases. Hey. Now, every every Thursday evening, Friday morning, a lot of soldiers go home for Shabbat. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have to go to this uh, transport hub, and then they come back. They're back at the transport hub. And these people got together, and they saw fit to uh, to make a little kiosk they pack sandwiches, they have a coffee machine, they have cold drink machines, and uh, they distribute this stuff to the soldiers. They can walk into the kiosk, get a packet of sandwiches, a cup of coffee, uh, a cold drink, an ice cream, or whatever it might be, before carrying on their way home or on their way to, to their bases. Um, when I heard about this, we asked Joe Isaacson, do they need anything in the kiosk because we would like to bring something for them. And he said, we need a plastic wrapping machine, which we duly bought and, and, and presented to them. And it's, uh, he sent me any number of photos of them working in the kiosk with this wrapping machine, wrapping sandwiches, mm. and the soldiers now get freshly wrapped sandwiches. Yes. Uh, interestingly enough, on the teal with us was uh, a former South African now living in, in the U.S., uh, Eric Jacobson. And when he saw this whole story with the kiosk and the, and the wrapping machine, he immediately offered to sponsor the wrapping machine mm. and to sponsor all future need that they might have of plastic to wrap sandwiches. That's fantastic. I just look <laughs> how they, you know, everyone takes care of each other, which is just so beautiful to hear. Now, Peter, tell me about your next book. And are you going to be coming to South Africa to promote it? At this stage, I'm not sure. I know your um, sister Rita I would be pleased if you did. Rita would be very, very, very happy. Uh, I hope she's listening. Today. I hope so too. Hello, Rita. Yeah. Um, my oh. new book is, is, is will be called Men of Valor, um, and it deals with forty Israelis who have won Israel's top medal for bravery for heroism. Mm. Um, in its seventy years of its existence, there have been various acts of bravery and. Uh, 40 people have won this medal who have been deemed fit to have carried out an act of bravery of such importance that the medal was presented to them. It's almost like South Africa's VC, the Victoria Cross of, of England. Mm. Um, so it's a top medal. And, and my book is a biographical type book about each one of these, these individuals, uh, concentrating not so much on the military side of it, but on the people that they interacted with, because as we've discussed previously, I, I love people and, and people's interaction with other people. Mm. So the people around them, the people that they served with, and the events that took place with those surrounding those people. And that is what the book will be about. And why do you think that there are only so few of them who have been recognized for this, this uh, highest award? The standard is extremely high. Um, to, to illustrate the, 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 the high standard, I think the majority of them were awarded posthumously. Oh, gosh. They actually gave their lives for their fellows carrying out their act of bravery. 
So people, the youngsters in the army, do they learn about these um, these heroes that, that, who... I, I should imagine they do. Uh, a lot of them are celebrated. You know, Israel... Israel has been at war for 70 years. I think there's no other way to describe it. Mm. Um, non-stop, quite honestly. There's non-stop conflict for 70 years in Israel. So every soldier is nurtured uh, on these stories. Um, the very last, number 40, was one by a chap called Avigdor Kahalani. Mm. Uh, and that was one in 1973. Um, that's the last time it was awarded was in 1973. Um and if you mention the name of Vigdor Kahalani, everybody knows him. Everybody knows of him, and everybody's heard of him. Gosh. Do you um, believe that part of the um, Israel's success, really, is that it's, it's part of the Israeli people's weapon against terror, is this um, nurturing of each other and feeling that this is, has to be fought for, this country has to be fought for, it has to be saved. Do you think that's part of the weapon uh, against terror? Absolutely. Uh, I have no doubt whatsoever in my mind. Um, Israel is a, Israel is a, is a, is a very uh, tightly knit community. As I said earlier, despite the political differences, um, and, and then I, you know, I found this particularly with the South African community with Chelfed, the South Africans all stick together, mm. but at mm. the same time, they're very much a part of Israel. Um, right. And Telfed nurtures this and participates in a lot of uh, activities that are not South Africa-related, um, that are Israel-related. Mm. And it's part and parcel of the whole thing that we, we have this closeness. Whether it's Russian emigres or, or British emigres or American emigres, we all have this total closeness and come together. Um, I, I realized this uh, a couple of years ago. I was on the committee for the, when we, you and I, in fact, met uh, for the uh, centenary, the Belfort centenary. I was on the committee for the Belfort centenary in Israel. And I worked with Brits and I worked with uh, Americans and Australians, Canadians, and we worked with Israelis. Um, and we all had the same common purpose and the same ideal. Mm. It's quite amazing. We're just going to break for a moment. A frequency like no other. 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson and I'm talking to Peter Bailey by Skype in, in uh, Israel. And we have been talking about um, the adapt, the uh, Israelis' ability to adapt and um, to actually adapt or die, and let's face it, they are amazing how they adapt. Do you know, I was reading an article the other day about um, the Bos- Boston was on lockdown after the bombing, you know, that, that Boston Marathon bombing, remember? And yes, yes. it was saying that this response to terror doesn't occur in Israel, that the routine uh, just actually goes on. There's a solid resolve not to allow the threat of terrorism to actually dominate their lives, and that often following a terror attack, they're, they, they are certainly not ordered by their government to barricade themselves inside their homes. 
um, and they go on with their daily duty, their, with their routine, which is quite amazing. They do make minor changes as a means of, of caution, for instance, like it mentioned, if there was a bomb at a restaurant or something and you were sitting outside, they would probably sit uh, at another table where they could actually watch and report any suspicious activities. And I thought this was amazing. I mean, this is a... Uh, this is true uh, ability to adapt. And they, the one thing that they did say was, we will keep on dancing. Uh, what do you think about that? that? That is the Israeli psyche. Mm. I think it's the Jewish psyche as well. Mm. Uh, Jews throughout the ages have, have experienced so much ill treatment, uh, so much hatred, um, and have survived despite it. That's and true. that indomitable spirit is part of the psyche of the Jewish people. Mm. You know, uh, it also said that the uh, Israelis live with and interact with terrorism and that instead of actually um, crying and tearing their hair out, they, they create new things to actually deal with it, new methods for Post-traumatic stress, healthcare, new, all you know, all of that, and uh, that 88% of Israelis are actually incredibly proud to be Israeli, and that it's also been rated as the 11th happiest country in the world, which is quite amazing, with a flourishing yes. economy. Baruch Hashem. You know, all that, all that being said, the number of Crime-related deaths in Israel, and I won't talk. I won't talk about terrorist-related deaths. Crime-related deaths are virtually zero, um, and terrorist-related deaths are also not that many. Mm. So, as dangerous as what it is, Israeli uh, innovation, Israeli—I uh, uh, don't know what to call it. Innovation probably is the best word, and, 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 and the systems that have been developed have made life-saving a possibility. Uh, you know, I, re- I remember at the time of the uh, of Protective Edge, one of the columnists, one of the, I think it was the Guardian in, in, in Britain, published an article to say that it was very unfair of the Jewish people uh, that they did not give the uh, Iron Dome to the Gazans to be able to protect themselves from Israeli attacks, the same as Israel re- uses the Iron Dome to protect us. Mm. And I think this is the, the convoluted thinking that goes on in the world. If Gaza did not send, or Hamas did not send iron rockets at Israel, we wouldn't need the Iron Dome and we would not have to retaliate. That's so true. The Peter, Iron Dome, mm. absolutely Israeli innovation, has saved thousands of lives. Mm, absolutely. And, uh, Peter, you know, we're running out of time, but I just want to actually end on, on, a, on a nice note as well about <laughs> Israel is over the moon with its spacecraft blast off. And That's you told me that one of the main founders is Morris Kahn and that um, he was an ex-Benoni man. An ex-Benoni boy, Benoni boys high. Um and Benoni through and through, he was a member of Habonim and Benoni, the Jewish youth group. Um, and uh, he came to Israel in 1956 with his wife and, and, and two children. Um, and he's become a legend. That's wonderful. Um, We're yes. going to have to end there. Just let's hope that that moon landing and the, the, the spacecraft does inspire a new generation 
of Israeli scientists and technology students and and around the world as well, give people inspiration. Peter, thank you so much for being on my program. We've got a lot more to discuss, so we'll be in touch again. But it's been so good actually spending this time with you. We're going to be ending with a, a song by Just Ginger called Stand By You. And next week, Rabbi Levi Upson and I will be talking about the new anti-Semitism. Peter, is there anything you would like to say to end? Thank you, Sue. It's been a pleasure being with you. And I would advise High FM to give you a two-hour program. <laughs> Thanks so much. And with that, <laughs> I'll say goodbye until next week. Bye.